I had to shake him on my last case, big O don't play. Alright guys, welcome back to the next episode of the Musky Hunks podcast. I'm one of your five hosts this evening, Ryan Reed. See, who do we have on the line here tonight? I'm going to start with Mr. Donnie Swink. What's happening, everybody? What up, Donnie? What up, Owen? Hi, Donnie. <laughs> Hi, Donnie. Hi, Hi Donnie. Guys. We also have on the line Mr. Tom Benata. Good evening. Good evening, sir. We also have no on the line. tonight. No, we're, we're not going to boom. We're going to try to be nice about oh, yeah, this one tonight. Yeah. <laughs> unless, he t- unless he talks about trout. Yeah, he's done. Get out of line. All right. We also have Mr. Nick Fiesler. Hola. Hi, Nick. Hi, Nick. And we have Mr. Big O, Owen Seaman, on the line tonight. What's up, gentlemen? Man, the myth, the legend. Someone All just right. peeked into the background of Owen's computer and then went running away when they yeah, saw my kids. Water. My kids are coming in and they're poking their heads in. <laughs> I warned them that daddy was going to be podcasting. So, you know, <laughs> be, be careful. So I'm, I'm trying to I'm really I'm kind of excited about this because we just came off of a, what I would consider a banger episode with Jeff Contreras. Just keep casting. And we kind of talked about some of the items that we wanted to cover as far as bank yanking. And we didn't really get to that in that episode. So yeah, be honest, we completely missed the topic. Well, I think uh, let's, let's say it, it, Jeff became such, I mean, he was honestly such a great guest. If, if I was more interested in asking him questions about him than, than quite, you know, talking about bank yanking, you know, so tonight we're going to do more of a traditional in terms of bank yanking episode uh, where, you know, we're not going to be focused on Jeff and what an awesome dude he is and, and, uh, and all the things in his life. And we're going to talk about actually, you know, how several of us, not my, not myself, but Tom and Ryan in particular, got started in a lot of ways uh, just fishing from shore. And, you know, let's, let's face it, every single musky fisherman, when they get started, I mean, unless your dad has a boat or something like that, you know, you get started by seeing a, you know, fishing most likely from the shore or, you know, having to rent a boat or something. So I think a lot of listeners would probably be interested in learning, hey, if I don't have a boat, if I don't have access to a boat, where can I go and possibly catch my first muskie? And what might it take to do that? So because we didn't get to really cover that, especially in this one will be a lot more local oriented what we did talk about with Jeff last week or last time, uh, you know, he's in Wisconsin. So that, you know, we're, this is going to be more directly related to the bodies of water that, that, you know, you guys fish, because again, I've always been interested in doing it and I've never really had the, the know it, the know-it-all or the wherewithal to, to actually go out and do it. So I, for one, have a lot of questions in terms of how, how locally you can get it done here in Western Pennsylvania. That's why I think was, was one of the coolest things of talking to Jeff is like how much different the Wisconsin fishery sounds like that they have a clear water streams. I was just, you know, when he was talking about that, it's like, 
none of the rivers around here have that that clarity that you could ever ever get away with sight fishing I mean, one talking about sight fishing and things like that yeah yeah not in the, it's neat it's it, it was pretty interesting yeah be cool to see in person uh-huh. own can play like the avatar of the new bank uh bank fishing angler asking questions the wide-eyed beginner bank fisherman asking the questions about mm-hmm. getting started and Absolutely, man, because, you know, you you hear rumors of big, big muskies being caught. And, you know, I always think of the, what is it the the famous Howard Wagner uh, from Fombell, PA? Like he catches that 53 inch monster from, you know, in a little creek mouth in the middle. Like, I don't know if it was January or February. That picture, you know, does ever, do you guys know the picture yeah, yeah. I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I, think, oh, yeah. I think you said it was on a crane bait. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, you know, this, the story behind it was, I was always fascinated by it because it, you know, the, the, the snippet, I guess that I've seen, and this may not be totally right, but he was like really sick that day, but he knew mm-hmm. that the conditions were right for, and he had seen this fish at some point prior. And he just knew that, you know, even though he was sick and felt terribly, he knew it was, he needed to get out there because the conditions were right. And sure enough, there he catches this gigantic fish that goes down in, in, you know, Western or, you know, Pennsylvania muskie lore. So, you know, I've, I've always been interested in that to know where that that type of stuff happens and how you can possibly find a big fish like that. So, you know, I don't know where you guys want to get started. So I'll open, open the floor up to, to, you know, see, see who, how we want to start this. I think he's been fishing. So why don't we talk about some of their little adventures first and then we'll, tail on into the bank fishing since at least one of us has been fishing <laughs> all right nick is there something you wanted to say there or would, oh, you i was bring- just gonna mention that uh howard wagner in itself could be like a whole podcast he's like the the western oh. pennsylvania enigma but you hear like legendary stories about him all the time i think he's even been referenced in some of the 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 big wig uh canadian uh guys up there that he just kind of like appears out of nowhere and where it was you know kind of isolated canadian waters that nobody was fishing other than the locals and you know there's howard wagner but that'd be it's like one of my dreams to pick his brain for for an hour well somebody yeah. somebody start working on, on trying to get mr wagner on here because uh, i i would absolutely love that too i mean that that really reminds me kind of like dick pearson who is you know you know I've, I've always just been fascinated by the stories of him just going to these completely remote canadian lakes and just kind of getting lost for weeks on end just fishing for muskies and i you know it's kind of like that's what you need to do if you really 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 want to you know target these big fish but really in essence you can go to your local you know creek and you know a lot of them and, and possibly have a musky encounter yep but before we get into the, the bank yanking, like Tom had just mentioned, Donnie has actually been doing some fishing in the last couple some of catching. weeks since and catching indeed. So maybe Donnie, you could catch us up on what's been happening on the, uh, the swank tra- tracker. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, definitely. But first uh, I wanted to tell this little story since we were talking about Howard Wagner. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, I actually purchased my very first musky bait. 
I ever owned in my life when I was 16 years old at Howard Wagner's shop in Fawn Bell, PA, the, the Fish Education Center. It was a, a black sucker believer. Uh, and I still have that bait. <laughs> I've actually never caught a muskie on it, <laughs> but I have it. And uh, it, it, it goes kind of with the bank yanking thing. That's why I wanted to tell this as we were talking about it, because that all came to be from me and my friends fishing our local rivers from the shores and seeing some of these giant muskies swimming around the dams and in local areas and kind of getting enamored with these fish and, and wanting to catch them. And that, that's where my muskie roots really uh, began was right there. And, and then we went out to Howard Wagner's shop in my first car to buy a couple musky lures to try and catch one of these fish. And we didn't, we never came close to it. But and you I saw them back. So, in the but, but you saw them as kid when you were a kid, you saw yes. them. Yes. Oh yeah. We saw them. And that's, a, it, it's weird because, you know, I had those encounters when I was really young and I even had a friend that caught one once on a, uh, on a, on a uh, little shad wrap, a size seven shad wrap, caught a couple. Uh, my God. favorite bait of all but, time. Yeah, but uh, my dad's too, 100%. Uh, but yeah, we I never caught one. And then I kind of, you know, I didn't fish for a number of years, at least not seriously. And I didn't really get into muskie fishing until a lot later in life. But, uh, you know, I, I was enamored with those fish even back then. The first time I ever encountered one, it was, oh, I, I want to catch one of these fish. How do I catch one, you know? Yep awesome that was one of the first names i ever heard getting into it like uh, what as soon as you would mention muskie to someone that actually fishes it's like oh well howard wagner that's like right. the first name drop that <laughs> it's interesting Absolutely. about that too because when you're new to this whole thing you know you're if you're not talking to like local guys in your area you're you know you're kind of fishing in the dark you know what i mean like yeah. and when you start thinking about all these like articles and all this information that's out there like i can remember you know when i first got into musky fishing like i found one of the article write-ups that somebody did on howard wagner and it it's almost like like even for new musky fishermen you don't know anything about anything anything about the sport you don't know where to start like you pretty much know who howard wagner is yeah. Right, you know, especially if you're around here. Yeah, yeah it's just, just like the the first hit if you search, right. you know, Pennsylvania muskie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I, and that's why that, that Stany River fish that that uh, Owen's talking about, or that big uh, Great Lakes fish, the first two pictures that pop yep. up, both absolute giants. Yeah, he yeah. Howard was uh, he caught some big fish. I, well, it's, speaking of big fish, what'd you catch, Donnie? Yeah. I, uh, we've had some, uh, I, I, what, I got out a couple times since the last time we've been out. I haven't been out a ton, but I did, uh, I got out with my buddy Kellen uh, probably about three weeks ago now, and we had a pretty good day. Uh, I got, what? Yeah, I, I can't remember if I got one that day or if it was the day before that I got mine, honestly. But I got like a mid-30s fish, and then he got a 
beautiful 48 inch PA river monster on a uh, pounder pounder bulldog and it was uh it was a pretty incredible experience we had a lot of fun that day that fish came right up to the boat ate it right in the first turn of the figure eight right to boat side and it just completely engulfed this pounder that's awesome <laughs> 48 yeah. that that was, so a fat, that was a big fish it was a, it was a fish. very big yeah. fish so you and, got to watch it uh, oh yeah no i did not see the eat honestly oh. uh, i was I was casting off the back of the boat. He was on the front of the boat. All I heard was, oh, fish. And then I looked over and it was, you know, absolute musky mayhem, as we've all been a part of at one point or another. Yeah. But uh, he, Kellen's, you know, he's he's pretty good with his boat side maneuvers and everything. He's 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 a good stick. And he, he walked that boat, fish right around the boat, gave me a second to, to reel it up and, and get the net and you know, it went, it went pretty quick though. It was smooth. Good. You know, it went right in the net and just a gorgeous fish. Had to cut all the hooks on that damn pounder though. She ate the shit out of it. It was pretty wild. Looking <laughs> at the picture, can you confirm or deny that this was one of the spots we fished on our tournament day? Because to me, it looked like one of the places we stopped by. No. No. Ah. Never mind. <laughs> it looked familiar. Looked like a familiar <laughs> watershed. Tom, Mr. Spot Burner. Don't salt, Tom. Well, yeah, let, me, let me cross that off my list here, and I'll get I'll them. <laughs> Do you recognize these shrubs or possibly this tree? <laughs> Shrubbery looks like uh, this county. Um... Well, that's awesome. And that's the biggest fish yeah. aboard the SS Swink this year? Yeah, and it actually is the biggest uh, Pennsylvania fish to be in the tracker. It, you know, I had a, a 48 out of St. Clair last year as well, but uh, that's the, the biggest fish that's the biggest Pennsylvania fish that's been in my boat so far. So since that's I got awesome. it seasons, but yeah, it was, it was cool and it was good. You know, Kellen is, is kind of the guy that I got into this with and, you know, we fished together a lot at, you know, of, over the years, these last couple of years, it hasn't been quite as much because he's built real busy with work and everything. So it was pretty, it was a pretty neat way to kind of, close out the season to just get out there and, and hammer a few good fish. And, and it was, it was a great day. It really was. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Like it. And then you caught the same fish twice too, I think, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So he caught, he caught the, this fish that day. It was, it, it's a 39 and a half inch. According to Charlie Mueller, it's a male. Uh, he claims he can tell these things. <laughs> old charlie but uh I, I i do believe he's right looking at the photos and everything but uh i i don't usually pay as close of attention to that stuff as charlie does i'm sure i thought that i saw balls dangling off it kellen caught that fish that day and then a week later i went back to this i was fishing the same area and that fish ate the same bait in about basically the exact same spot a week later an hour early <laughs> consistent it was it, it was pretty wild it was it was a week later to the day uh it was it ate at 11 o'clock when kellen ate caught him and it ate at 10 o'clock when i caught him in the exact maybe it same just day. it just thought the time change happened later this year yeah yeah I see. But uh, it was pretty wild, and I, yeah, I had 
I had Charlie in the boat with me. And it, I, I'm telling you, as soon as that fish went into the net, I, I looked at Charlie and I said, that's the same fish Kellen caught last week. And I know he didn't believe me at the time, and, but I, I just knew it because it had a big head and it was real long and skinny. And as soon as I saw it, I, I just knew it was. And, and then we took the, we released it, looked at those pictures and there's, there's definitely no denying it. So it's pretty wild that you can, you know, really see that catch and release aspect work and, and, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I worry for that fish's future, though. If he, he has the same suicide on its head. Somebody's not as kind to him as I am. He might be in trouble. Well, that's like those big river spots. I mean, once a fish finds a good place to be, it doesn't really have a reason to leave. It's not like a lake fish that has to bounce all around, you know, during the year to find like the appropriate place to live. Like if they find a good spot, they're going to be hanging like near there usually. Well, if you if you listen to to uh, if you watch the Blue Ridge Muskie uh, YouTube videos, like at times he will describe where in the past a fish is sitting. Like he will say, yeah. there's a fish that likes to sit up on that, you know, on that you know ledge, you know, right mm -hmm. behind that eddy. And sure enough, because I think you're right, Tom. You know, in a, in the river, and and I think this is probably likely just about everywhere that muskies live. You know, they they are territorial, and I think they've proven to be that way. But in rivers, like they they have to they have to get out of the current to yeah to chill out, I guess. Right? Um, yeah, that, real estate's hard to come by. Yeah. So where, like, how many places in a big river? can big muskies just you know have right. like an eddy or like uh you know uh you know a slack water pool where there's not this you know in that in the upper niagara i think it's like a seven mile per hour uh you know current i don't know what it is fishing you know in the it, like in the the main allegheny or like that but I'll bet it's four and a half to five. It can, get, right? it can be fast, especially during high water. Yeah, it could be raging. But I mean, just on the, on general, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm asking, you know, the what is the the you know the the flow of the rivers on a typical day? Is it you know is it going for what are the I fish you, dealing with on a on a regular basis? I bet you're varying between like two to four. Depending on you know the that section of river and yeah, because remember you're talking about these fish. If they want to stay in the same spot, they have to constantly swim in a river. Right. To the you know for the most part, if they just sat still, they would go down river. Yeah. So if they, if they are territorial and they are yeah. living in the same places or going to the same places, there are are clearly reasons why they are going there. Uh, you know in in. I think that slack water you know, probably is a, is a, a big part of that. Yeah. And it's having access to like everything. Like they don't want to have to go, you know, it rains. They don't want to have to migrate 10 miles to a, a safer spot. They want to have everything, you know, kind of nearby. I'm thinking that's why. So that, begs, so that begs the question, like then why would muskies really move much at all? Absent, you know, for spawning, yeah. you know, spawning purposes. Like I don't think they, they do. <laughs> that's my opinion at least in our rivers i really don't think they do all that much but then why do they show up at, you know like you're you're you are very insistent on the fact that they show up 
Well, that's a really unique scenario. That's what I mean. That's like a trigger that like brings them into a certain spot. Okay, so maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I think we're getting a little ahead. Into things, okay. Current current and bait fish. Mm -hmm. Yep. Current and bait fish. Those are the two two things that are going to dictate musky location in a river more than anything else, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, Now, if you're bank yanking, you don't really have any opportunity to chart bait fish the way you do if you're on a boat nope well that sounds like a good segue into our bank yanking then sure was that that was smooth that was one of the smoothest <laughs> little transitions i think we've had come on tom that was that, all right that, was, that was thought out well, that was planned it was easy time. because none of you other people ever fish so it was ryan fell asleep 10 minutes ago <laughs> i i i did fish 12 days ago yeah, Brian, <laughs> Brian was on the board. He was. I, I uh, this isn't, we don't need to get into this, but I will say that my brother had a baby recently and he's been working on his house feverishly. I imagine he's been fairly stressed out and I hadn't seen him for a while. It's, it was probably over a month, two months. I, and I haven't even seen the baby for a while. So, I just wanted to get some time with him and we got him out in an afternoon and he went two for two in one of our Creek spots and nothing real big. I mean, two 30 inch class fish, but you know, it's one of those things when you don't get to fish the last time he was out fishing period was probably back in February with me in the same area. You get to fish, you know, at least you know, it's one of those things where two fish makes a huge difference for somebody that doesn't get to do it. So he was, was smiling a, like they were 50. He was like, smiling and it, it was a great pick, you know, got a great couple of pictures for him and he, he had a giant smile on his face and got to cut loose a little bit and, you know, get away from now, it. So. Now, did those ones have ball sacks? Were they males or females? <laughs> uh, I didn't uh, look at the undercarriage. Uh, on okay. those, I just uh, the lower unit on those ones. No, but I, it's Charlie. He'll, he'll let you know. Now, I, I will tell you, I didn't tell anybody this yet. There's Uh-oh. only one other person that knows that this happened. Uh-oh. Okay. What did and you it was, do? It was because Hold on a second. <laughs> he, he was there. Okay. So my brother hooks the second fish and he hooked it. Not like typically where we're fishing you're getting a lot of like at your feet eats, like literally at your feet. Like they just hit at your feet and when you're twitching a bait or whatever you're doing. And in this particular scenario, the fish ate out on a full cast, which in there sometimes can mean trouble. Sometimes not. It just depends on how much brush and stuff is around. And he was bringing it in. The fish was, going absolutely insane pulling drag and it got wrapped around a essentially a tree limb and i went to net it thought i had it in the bag and just complete it just completely rolled out of the bag on me i butchered the net job but it got pinned on the outside of the bag and i was able to drag that baby right up on shore on on top of the net on top of the bag and soon as I soon as I got it up, it popped, and I literally I grabbed it, I handed it to him, we took a picture, he dunked her, and that was it. And I was like, "Don't ever tell anybody 
else I messed this net job up because that's <laughs> two net jobs this year that I've completely That's almost watched. straight three. Yeah, and uh, the first one was a lot worse, I can tell you that. And I know Charlie can tell you that as well. Well, Charlie's getting a lot of shout outs today. He, he is. is. We should have just had <laughs> him on. I was going to say, if, you, if you're ever unclear of the sex of any animal, just snap some, <laughs> snap some photos of the genitalia, send them to Charlie. Yep. He'll do his best. Charlie Mueller, genitalia expert. Right. I mean, he's going to specialize in fish. <laughs> he is probably one of the smartest, I would say, fishiest people you will ever meet. Uh, oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I, I, I like to bust his chops a little bit because he knows he, he definitely knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Thoroughly enjoyable and educational to fish with. Mm. <laughs> Just not that great at estimating length of fish. I think he's spot on. I don't think yeah. you caught a single <laughs> fish over 46 inches. This 46, year. maybe. Yeah. Well, there we four, go. six. I thought there were 30. Bank yanking, or we just yeah, we're gonna get episode where we don't swing and miss on this one too. We're gonna get two hours the whole time. Yep. All right. So that's all right. I'll just keep fishing off my boat. Yeah. (laughs) Oh shoot! Oh dang! (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Tom, what's up? Why don't you get us started on some bank yanking here? I can do that. Well, we want to go deep then. Was your for well, Tom? Was your first muskie caught bank yanking? It was. It was that one. I think I kind of hit on it a few episodes ago when I law. I threw a lure up into a tree. I didn't listen. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, our, our our loyal fan did though. But um, yeah. So it was that. My first was bank yanking. It was I threw a lure up into a tree the night before. Went back the following morning to retrieve the lure. I really had no plan on fishing, but long story short, yeah, I got my first one from the bank. And it was not pretty back then. I actually, I got into muskie after carp fishing. So at the time I had like a blue tarp that I would take everywhere with me. And you can guess what happened with the tarp. I would catch the muskie and I would throw it on the tarp and dunk a bucket of water on it. And that's how I did muskie surgery back before I knew any better. Hey, at least but, you, at least you wet it. You wet yeah, it I was down. I didn't give it the old dirt bath. Like some people <laughs> like to do. I mean, oh, that's yeah. like, the, the pictures of guys like catching their first muskie and, and you can tell that they literally wrestled it. Yeah. Like on, on shore. Back. Yeah. And it's like, like, you know, and, and, and guys on, 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 on the internet just jump all down their throat and all over them. Like, how can you treat a muskie like that? And it's like, you know what? We're, like, how did you, how did you handle your very first muskie? Yeah. Like, and I would love to hear that story from everyone. I like to imagine like, that all those photos were like, almost like a, a scene out of Braveheart where they're just battling away in the mud. Mm-hmm. Probably on uh, like Brian. four pound test, you yeah. know, because it was on it was on a crawler, you yeah. know, in the spillway. Pulling off so, the impossible. I right. just want to just want to immortalize the moment. <laughs> well, you know that person too. When they took that picture and they let that fish go, they're like, "I did a good job." Because looking back, when I look back at my tarp days, like at the time, I thought I was like, "I am doing a good job." My tarp I'm wasn't care that bloody. Musky. Yeah, I'm like, there was hardly any blood on my tarp. I didn't even have today. to hose the tarp down, job. guys. Yeah, until I learned, but yeah. Minimal grill marks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Minimal blood. Fish swam away within like 30 minutes. I mean, it was just went, couldn't have gone any better. It was yeah. a beast 36 inches too, huh? Yeah. Right. yeah. 
but well, I mean, yeah. So yeah, mine my first one was from the bank. And I mean, I guess that's a good place to start. I mean, you're gonna need yeah, so to so how did you get started? I mean, like after that one, what what did you do? Well, the whole reason I started bank fishing is because I just didn't have a boat. Like I think many that's, people I think that's pretty much how out. everyone yeah. starts bank fishing. Yeah, and it's easy and it's quicker, but yeah. So if you're gonna start bank fishing, obviously you need a spot. Don't that, buy a boat. That's... Yeah, don't buy a boat. Go find a spot. That's that's ground zero. You need a spot. Well, we'll we'll do the deep dive. Boat, never gonna want to go bank fishing. Trust me. Yep. Tom bought a boat. Doesn't catch any muskies out of it. I want to no. talk. I want to talk thing. about this. I want to talk about this spot thing for a minute. Okay, because this is oh, a huge. Will, this is a huge deal for me. You know, basically taking me from catching no muskies to some muskies, and then. Yep. So the go ahead, continue on, but I want to make sure we get some time with this. Yeah, oh, we can, will. That's that, that's what I mean. It sounds the, stupid, but that's literally that's like the most important step. You need a spot. Let's put the GPS coordinates to Tom's spots. Yeah, the flash them up on the screen right there, real yep. quick. So Tom, Tom, X Tom at four one two five 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 eight nine six nine. Yeah. So when you talk about a spot, though, so one of the the biggest things that I was doing wrong and was not, was, was essentially causing me, you know, lack of result was I was fishing water local to me. Okay. So I was looking at water bodies of water that, you know, quote unquote, have muskies in them, you but know, not like, ideal. like, uh, I'm just going to name a place. Okay. I live out in the Greensburg area, Bridgeport reservoir. Okay. Bridgeport reservoir is a small reservoir that was supposedly stocked with tiger muskies. Okay. Guys see them there every year, you know, they're, they're in there. And I've spent a lot of time on that reservoir trying to fish for them. And I've not seen, you know, nearly as many muskies as I have when I started paying attention to like the stocking efforts in yep. some of these bigger lakes with smaller Creek systems and, and outflows and things you have, when you're looking for a spot, Regardless if it's a river or a lake or whatever it is, you want to look at the highest percentage of population of muskies before you attempt to fish it. Whether yep. you look at biologist reports, you look at the stocking statistics, whatever it is, you need to make sure that you put yourself in a position where you're fishing higher percentage waters. Fish where the fish are. Zinc, look at the... Uh... The muskies ink catch log, that's, or what it, that what it's called, the musky log. Yep, that's a, a huge, great, great tool there. I'd but like to complain about that up. right now because they changed it, and it's much harder to access data on it right now. It, it's like the lunge log light right now. Yes, yeah. like integrating to that. It's not quite as like comprehensive as it was before. Well, Ryan said about the I think somebody needs that's to like streamline that process. The lunge log. Someone needs to make that easier. They're, they're working on it, yeah. Yeah, I think they're yeah. trying. But that's a great resource. Tom, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, you were saying where they stalked, and that's, like, the, that was literally my number one point that I had on my phone, like, for your spot. Like, just go on, like, the Fish Commission website. <laughs> I don't know if you could do it right now, because since COVID, they made it all weird where you can't, like, really see dates and spots and stuff because they wanted to, like, dial back on crowds of people. But when it goes back to normal, I know you can go on by, like, county. You can filter by county and just see, like, past dates of when and where they were stalked. 
I'm trying to pull it up right now just to to check. Yeah, I, I was having a really hard time. I tried like a month ago and couldn't get to it. I used to have like a bookmark in my phone and it, the, mm-hmm. the link went corrupt. Yeah, I was I, I looked I used to look at that all the time too. Yeah. And that, that's a huge resource because that's going to tell oh, you. Okay. I mean, they might not stock muskie like this year or last year, but you might find a place that was consistently stocked for 10, 15 years that not a lot of people were fishing. <laughs> but that still should have muskie. And I mean, that's, that's always a good place to start. And it can even be, you know, upstream, downstream, if yep. you're connected. Yep. Connected. They travel. They do not just stay right where they get stocked, like a stock trout, they will move. And that's the other thing. Like, like I, I will go right to Google maps. Like if I, I'll find somewhere on like the stalking website, or maybe it's word of mouth. Maybe someone said something to me, like there's a confirmed muskie sighting here. So I'll go right to Google maps go on Google satellite view and just get the looking. I mean, <laughs> you'd be amazed at how much you can see just from like an aerial view, whether it be a lake or river, you can see like deep spots in a river, the shallow spots. You can see the bends in a river. You can see like weed lines in a lake. I mean, you can really see it all from Google maps. Right now the uh, stocking data isn't accessible, but nah. it still shows that when you pull up the like best fishing waters. Yeah. It kind of highlights, you know, musky stocked waters yeah so so tom you brought up a good point there about google maps and tools like that i mean i think if you fish areas like we're fishing you probably learn that pretty quick but like for people that are just getting into this and and guys like you know um paul and, and others that have reached out to us you know the other cool thing about like something like a google earth is you can actually save all that stuff like in your, like all of your pins, like say you want to take a snip, you can save all that stuff up in the Google con in the cloud and get that right on your phone. So now you go from your computer to your phone when you're actually like quote unquote in the field and you can pan zoom like that is such a, you're right. That is like such a huge asset to, to being a fisherman, especially from, from the bank. I mean, it, that has also (laughs) been very, very helpful to me to be able to mark and, you know, look at areas like that so that's yep. that's a really good one and i mean even if you if you're not searching yourself like maybe someone told you like a good spot like you heard you went to a musky show and someone said oh you gotta go to x spot and try it out there's a people catching musky there all the time like you will as soon as you get into musky you'll start hearing rumors and people will start telling feeding you spots and telling you stuff like don't be afraid to check that out it might or not be someone, like yeah I saw somebody sends you somebody sends you a Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Donnie. I know what Nick's gonna say. Somebody sends you a photo and you look at it and the metadata is location. Yeah. Got the location data saved on it. Well, I can't send Tom pictures anymore. Yeah. Right. I sell them on the dark web. The locations. I already sold all Tom, so that makes yeah. me better, Donnie. Yeah. Nick is one- the one that taught me that. Oh, yeah. He's the expert. He's the expert sleuth that uh, he doesn't even need Google Earth. Work smarter, not harder, you know? Yeah, just don't be afraid of community spots. I mean, like, they became a community spot for a reason. Like, I feel like there's a very, like, a small chance that a spot, like, has rumors about it and gains notoriety because of, like, a made-up story. Like, someone at some point saw a muskie there or caught a muskie, which is why people were, like, talking about it. So That's one thing. Yeah, if it's like a good, you know, I mean, I'm going to say bucket fisherman spot, there's yeah. whatever's feeding on those fish. Yeah. You know, if somebody's fishing for panfish consistently in a spot, 
It's probably a good spot for Muskie, too. Good place to start anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, it it really depends, too, on what you're looking at. Like, if you're looking at a river versus a lake. Like, if I'm looking at a river, I mean, you could really look for anything in a river. You're just looking for something that stands out. Like I said, it could be a river bend. It could be, like, you could be looking, scrolling through, like, miles of just dirt bank and come across, like, a rock bar. You could come across like a tree laying in the water or somewhere where it looks like it falls off into kind of deep water. Literally anything that looks interesting to you is worth investigating on a river. And I think a lake's a little different in that aspect because, I mean, a lot of if you pull up a lake on Google Maps, a lot of it's like dead water. I mean, you're fishing like bluegill water from the bank a lot of places in a lake. So I think with a lake, you have to be a little more picky on exactly, you know, where you're headed versus a river you can kind of just pull off on the side of the road anywhere it looks decent i think ryan you you're a little i'd consider you the lake bank yanking expert of the group maybe i don't i don't um i mean none of us are really experts but i i will tell you i was thinking about that and i've done so the majority and, and keep in mind i really started bank fishing for musky in 2019 so we're not that far it's only been a couple of years and you know i, I was looking at my records previous to this and i'm pro I've, I've contacted now this is not caught at least from the the records that i had i didn't get through all of them but i i've contacted over 80 muskies from the bank since we're going to call it fall of 2019 Okay, so it's not, this isn't a real extensive body of work here, but I think it's enough for me to start putting some things together, like just to be able to talk about it. And I think, Tom, you're right. You know, as I'm thinking through this, like the creek fishing that I've really kind of grown to start loving and spending a lot of time is more like outflows on our bigger reservoirs. Yeah. So in a lot of those lakes, like I've casted from shore and I've caught fish. Like I've, so I I think whenever you're trying to approach a spot like that, it is a lot easier to look at like a Creek or a river because you have probably areas that you can just like pull off survey and and go. Whereas a lake you're dealing with a lot shallower and then you got lake, like a, a, yeah, like a lake, like Glendale. Um, If you guys have ever fished Glendale Lake, Dude, especially in the summer, that lake is like nearly impossible to fish from shore because of the weed. It just, it's so, and a lot of our, our lakes are like that. So I do think you're going to run into some additional challenges there. And we honestly, this past year was the lowest I've ever seen the water in some of the, the creeks that I've been fishing. I mean, really, really low, like low. I've never seen a Creek that low and, you look up and you see, you know, there was one day, it was like in May, I probably saw like close to 40 muskies in, you know, three, four hours of fishing, not necessarily follows, just cruising. And the water was so shallow that you just kind of wonder where. So, I mean, it's just, there's so many different things with this. And I I do feel like you're right. It's, it's harder to kind of pick areas in a lake or in some of those creeks than some of our bigger rivers. But even like you said, that's still looking at a lake and choosing an ideal spot. I mean, you said Mm -hmm. you'd rather go to the outflow because the lake's too choked out to fish. I mean, that's exactly what I was saying. Maybe you pull up Google Maps and you see that for the first 40 feet, like all around the bank of this lake, it's lily pads. 
but there's a total aside outflow isn't glendale lake isn't that the lake where you can catch an amer pike i don't know i feel like nick would know the answer to that i'm nine i'm pretty sure glendale lake there were amer amer i don't know if it's amer or amer pike putting it like in the 50s or 60s and i I don't think there's any like actually still existing there but the rumor was that you could you could catch all every poor every uh uh you know member of the esox family in glendale lake that would be cool i know there is one lake like that i can't remember which one specifically this is why we might not be yeah it may not be glendale but i thought it was about the uh the stalking info being yeah yes so sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, guys. No, you're good. I was just saying, like, that's, I mean, that's, that's a perfect assessment. I mean, you looked at Glendale, for example, you saw, hey, this isn't like the ideal place there. What do you, what would you say? Your outflow, whatever. You looked at that lake and you said, hey, the lake is not ideal to cast, but this dam and this little tailwater looks kind of juicy. So I'm going to go investigate. I mean, that's, that's your first step right there. Yeah. Yourself uh, in a position where the fish might be. Yeah. And again, those areas were higher percentage waters, you know, based on all the stuff we just talked about. So mm-hmm. you can be I the best know. musky fisherman in the world. And if you're not fishing where there's musky, you're going to have a sucky time. I'd say as a general rule, any, uh, any discharge from a, an impoundment that has muskies probably has muskies in yep. it too. Well, I mean, was, so what's the first thing you look for? I mean, uh, is it a, is it an outflow someplace or a creek or a creek mouth or what? What's the very first thing you're looking for? Well, I I don't know, Tom. If you, I'll, I'll go first here. But Good. so the the thing of it is, is once I feel comfortable and I know that there's there's fish there based on the information that's out there, <clears throat> I I do the survey like Tom said. I look for areas to where I can cast. And then realistically, what I'm looking for, it, it's it's mostly going out there and fishing. Like, mm-hmm. for example, and I'm going to give you this example. There's one particular area that I really like to fish. You guys all know where I'm at. Um, it, it does get a, a tremendous amount of pressure. I spent seven full days fishing this particular body of water. And I didn't see a single muskie in seven days. And what I was looking for at the time was I was just trying to figure out like, where do these fish live? Cause I don't, at that point, and keep in mind, this is not only like from the bank, but this is me going from a lake to a, essentially a Creek or a river, you know, moving water, big difference there. I don't, yeah. I don't know anything about that style of fishing. So I was, what I was doing is I was just trying to get a feel for where these fish hang out. You know, what looks, what is an ambush spot? What does that look like, you know, for a predatory fish? Like, is it a log? You know, is it, is there weed beds in here? Cause I, I found out that there are actually weed beds in, in these types of areas, you know, is there boulders? What is, what is the, you know, where, where are these fish going to live? So I do think you have to understand the fish some and learn where they kind of hang out and live and where they like to ambush. And then you got to go try to find those types of areas in your body of water. So that's what I'm kind of looking for. I'm looking for laydowns. I'm looking for bends in the, you know, in the Creek, I'm looking for flats off of it. Cause there's some sections that kind of go into like a backwater off of a main channel. Um, you know, people talk about eddies all the time. You know, I don't really have that in some of the areas that I fish. 
you know, mm-hmm. kind of yes and no. I mean, it, it just depends, but there's a lot of brush. There's a lot of laydowns. There's a lot of boulders and rocks. You know, those are the types of things I look for. That's like any species. You just look at you. You have these little creeks, these little rivers, and you can eliminate like 90% of the water right off the bat. Like what's fishy water, what's not fishy. I mean, for, for the, yeah, you're going to have some like really unique places that a muskie likes to be, like you said, to ambush stuff. But for the most part, they're like any other fish. Like is the current fast? Well, they're going to want to be in a little slower current. Like is the water high? Well, they're going to be want to be out of like that fast, nasty stuff. Is there structure and cover? Well, they're probably going to want to be on it. Like, it's just like, look for the fishy stuff in those little creeks. Like you said, it could be a log. It could be any, it could be something totally stupid. It could be a rock, one rock. Like you said in the Blue Ridge videos, like he knows there's a muskie that likes to be behind this rock. Now that's all it takes. There's one little feature that that fish like calls home. Yeah. And that, and that's it. I mean, that's another thing is like when you're talking about moving water, now you're talking about low water, high water scenarios, all this other stuff that comes into the play. And that would change the way I would look and change what I'm essentially looking yep. at. That's so, exactly what like Owen was asking earlier. He was, he brought up like my little pattern that you guys all know that I like to smash every year. Mm-hmm. We'll call it like my little, my little bite every year that I can count on. We're going to call it trash peninsula. Yeah. Yeah. If all else fails, I can count on this to go right. <laughs> That's like my one thing a year that I can guarantee. And it's, and it's all related to high water. I mean, temperatures and high water. Tom's little pony. Yeah, exactly. And that's like it's it's you can pick your bank fishing spots like based off of weather conditions. Like, so you're fishing a river, a normal river, and it gets high every now and then, like a river does. Find somewhere along the bank where those muskie can get out of that nasty current. Because like, <clears throat> if your river's twice as high as usual, they're not going to be out in the middle of the river fighting current. They're going to push to the banks. They're going to get out of that stuff, whether it be like a creek mouth, like a lock or dam or something, somewhere where they can find those eddies. So you're looking for, what you're looking for is kind of storm events that are going to raise the water. Yep. Is when you want to be out there. That's what that's my favorite anyway. That's are what you, my, now, do you prefer rising water, falling water? I don't like really have a preference. I mean, I, I don't really have a preference. I think like maybe falling in general would be better just because they've had like some time to accommodate and get used to, you know, like different clarity. And sometimes it's clearing up a little bit maybe. And I don't know. It's just, it's just I've, had, I've done well on rising water. I've done well on falling water. It's just a matter of like being in that right spot, like choosing your bank spot tailored to what that water is doing. Donnie, you, said, you seem like you, uh, you prefer rising. What's your uh, justification? My personal opinion is rising water is like ringing, a dinner, ringing the dinner yeah. bell, big predators. Everything, bait fish start get flowing down river. Everything's getting flustered, trying to find their way into small eddies and getting off the treadmill. Everything that we're talking about, fish congregate in small places, and it's just – it's it's time big fish can still handle themselves in the in the current they might not prefer it but they yeah. can so they're out there and in my opinion they're out there hammering big fish and that's the time to be fishing for them i love rising so, water one one thing i, I want to rising water sign me up i i agree with donnie on this one but i also have learned that again there are different factors here like times of the year 
And the one thing I will mention that's been a huge help to me is when I first started doing this, I had no idea how to read a water graph. Um, a lot of these places that we have around here that are like reservoir driven, they have like graphs to show you like whatever is going on on the rivers or these outflows and stuff. If you learn how to read those, like it doesn't take long, but if you've never looked at it, it's kind of like confusing at first. If you learn mm -hmm. how to read those and actually spend and understand it, mm -hmm. and then you take your documentation to the next level, like when you're fishing and you actually make notes of that stuff, like, oh, today I was out and I moved like four fish today and the water level was at this, you know, all, that's another huge help because what I've noticed in my, in my records of, since 2019 is that I have done significantly better on days that I've had rising water. And sometimes I'll go back and I'll like mark, I'll, I'll look at these graphs and I'll go back and I'll mark like, okay, like the last week has been rising, you know, steadily or, or whatever, maybe we had a rain event and it just jumped right up like over two days. Um, I'm tracking like, okay, this has been like the third day of rising water or whatever that is. So I know in my records that, okay, the water level was at right here, but it's also been rising for X amount of days. And then I've actually taken that information from 2019 and that helped me catch mm -hmm. fish in 2020 yep. because it was the same freaking water condition. And when I, when I went out on those days, like, and, and, and again, another factor is the weather this time of year, I look for like the third or fourth consistent weather day, you know, in a pattern before I do this. But when you start putting all those pieces together and then you start looking at the water events mm -hmm. and you get rising water and it's the same, I'm telling you, like I've had the same type of success from the yeah, bank and, repeats. and that's it's, something. It's, it's unbelievable. That's something too that's that's nice and I've kind of learned to do is like even before I was paying as close of attention, you can, you know, look at your dates on photos when you caught fish. Mm -hmm. And like I'm pretty sure you're using USGS data for those water flow data mm -hmm. events. Uh you most of that's archived. You can, you know, retroactively look up what it was like when you caught a fish even if you didn't, we weren't paying attention then and just locked into one. Yep. Right. Kind of build a, a picture out of that. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> most, well, of I mean, most of it's backlogged at least five years. And yeah. I think typically it's as long as the station's been there. I did not know that. Yeah. I know like my first year actually like hardcore musky fishing, I, I went crazy. Like Ryan said, like making graphs and I was marking like, okay, I caught this fish at 10 30 AM. Like what was the water temperature? What was the pH? What was the gauge height? What was the bait? What was the bait color? What was the, like, dude, my log for like my first year of encountering musky, it, look, it looks like a lunatic made it like, cause it's just so in depth. I, I've since like fallen off and I don't keep as good a track, but that helped me dial in those spots because like ryan you said you went to that spot and fished seven days didn't see a fish mm -hmm. i picked this one spot i think i had one plano box i think i had like two baby girls a flat stick a top raider and i think that was like my arsenal and i went to this spot like every single day i could for as long as i could for a year because i had heard hey there's, there's guys catch musky here i didn't know anything more than that i didn't oh, know where's when. that spot yeah, yeah. nice try yeah, I didn't know when I didn't know how, but like that's what you have to do. You have to go suffer a little bit, and they're not as smart as you think. Like if they're there, they're gonna show themselves eventually. 
And then from then, it's just a matter of keeping good records and just repeating that. Like Donnie said before, with the fish you caught twice, you, you'd be amazed at how you can repeat these patterns. Once you figure them out, like you like I figured out, like my high water event brings these fish into this spot. So now every year around the same time, high water, I go right back to the same spot and we catch the same fish over and over again. Because they are surprisingly dumb when you find yeah. them. How many did, did you catch this year that were repeats, Tom? Three that I know for sure. Yeah. And I'm sure probably more if I really looked at it, like look closely or maybe from not from last year, but the year before or something. But yeah, they're all re- pretty much all recycled fish. And it's just it's just finding those patterns. Keep good records if you're just getting started. Make friends. I, I even used to print those graphs out. What's that? Make friends with the neighborhood beavers. Yep, yep. they'll give you intel. The, the local beavers will tell you. Bav. Hang out, hang out yep. at the veterans club. Listen to the stories of the sixty intrus that broke yep. them off while they were walleye fishing. I wanna- well, that was a that was another thing I was gonna say too. Like, even if you're a bank fisherman, don't be afraid to talk to boat guys. Like, cause they say, like, I might I'm bank fishing. I'm talking to Donnie. Donnie says, "Hey, we're catching them shallow, five feet no, long." I won't talk then- to a fisherman. Yeah, you just face palm me and tell me to get lost. <laughs> get the no. boat, loser. Yeah. No, but say say he says, okay, yeah, we're catching them shallow. So then I know I'm picking a shallow bank spot. It's not like these bank muskie are like totally different. They're the same fish. They're just a little closer to the shore. So where are they favoring? Talk to the guys in the boats. Talk to anybody that you can and apply that information to like the bank. I want to touch on that one too. Because yeah. so – that's a huge that's a huge deal because the other part of this is if you talk to guys that have boats some of those guys might have been doing the exact same thing you're trying to do from the bank mm-hmm. and that's how i caught my first muskie from the bank my you know by myself was i literally i i spent i got i got a hot i got a tip on where to fish based on you know all the stuff we talked about and then mm-hmm. and this person is Evan Shoss, he's a he's a member of our Chapter 16 Muskies Inc. Club, and you know he basically helped me, you know, just through text. Funny, yeah. I'm trying to be good, man. I got <laughs> I got a care package in the mail. I don't want another one. Okay, I'm just listen. I'm happy. I'm happy for everybody out there. I'm just trying to stay positive, and you know, I just I don't got nothing else. <laughs> so. So anyway, you know, Evan was, (laughs) Evan was messaging me back and just kind of helped me. And, you know, he has a boat, but he, he's been there, you know, he was, he's a member of the club, but he's fished the same water. He gave me the tips and he's, he's done this, you know, he wanted to, he, he wanted to help me try to catch one. And if I wouldn't have talked to him, I I don't know that I I might've got frustrated that last you know, the last time out and just said, screw it. I'm done with this. I don't want to do this. But Tom, to your point, like if I wouldn't have talked to somebody that had a boat or somebody in the club, or I wouldn't have, yeah. ha- there's no way I would have had any success doing this because mm-hmm. I tried myself based on a generic tip that he gave me and I failed miserably. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's such a huge part of this is we, we want to, we want to grow the sport of musky fishing you know, we want to make sure that people are taking care of the fish and stuff, but you know, none of us have ever really been afraid to like share what we're learning or help people. I know like yeah. Donna, you've helped me a lot. Like Tom, you've helped me a lot. Nick's helped me a lot. Oh, you know, just, we've all, that's what we do. We help each other because we want everybody to catch fish. 
Yeah. You know, but it's just, it's, it's tough with some of these other areas too, because you don't want to give too much away. Cause then you got, then you got guys taking their shoelaces off, you know, down at some of these spots and turning them shoelaces into a stringer to carry a 30 inch musky out in a freaking you know 16 ounce cooler or whatever it is it's so stupid it's a double-edged sword yeah um, tough it, there's a it, it's it's hard to find that balance or where that line is before or where you're trying to help people but not trying to give everything away especially things maybe you didn't earn for yourself i I think especially bank fishing too and Mm -hmm. and then spots and all of the above and yeah and bank fishing yeah i mean i think you're particularly like uh you know Mm -hmm. protective of your spots because i mean think about what it would what it takes to find a truly unique yeah bank fishing musky spot i mean that's got to be like gold right and I think a lot of it too is like your average bank fisherman is the inexperienced guy. Maybe the guy that doesn't bring a net, maybe the guy that doesn't have pliers or has never landed a muskie. So you're a little apprehensive to be like, Oh, you've never caught it. Like, like speaking to myself when I started muskie, like, Oh, you're bringing a blue tarp in a bucket. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you about my muskie spot. So you can go there and like, no, it's, it's and wrestle, wrestle some muskies. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so it's understandably bank fishermen are more protective. The muskie wrestlers. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be afraid to talk to the boat guys because yep. I'm not kidding. I still I think I still have the tarp. I still use it for carp. It's the exact tarp, probably still blood stained and everything. Uh, Part-time at the Chinese restaurant down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to sell them to them for the the, the, the uh, spicy tuna rolls. Okay, so I have a I have a bank yanking question as we, we spent a lot of time talking about spots. So here's here's where it gets into I'm I'm a boat fisherman and I you know I so I burn through a lot of spots. I like the run and gun yep. I, all over the place. Anybody that fishes with me kind of knows that. That being said, as bank fishermen, obviously I feel like that's a lot more difficult. So how long do you spend in a given spot? Or when you're doing this, are you walking along stretches of rivers or streams or are you picking one particular spot and fishing it and then getting in your car and going to another spot and fishing there or do you want to go ryan or you want me to start oh can i mention mine just yeah. my personal yeah and when i when i go i usually do i hit one you know drive to one spot kind of canvas the stream bank there's like four or five different deep spots, you know, kind of target areas at that one area. And then if I got no action there, then I'll hop in the car. It's like five minutes to the next one. And yep. then sometimes I'll hit three spots in one one go, yep. you know. That's my, you, my so first one go, how, how many hours of, say, fishing? Maybe you- two hours. Okay, so you're not spending a lot of time on these. You're just kind of if not if you don't get any action, you're out. Right. Typically for me, it's like an after work thing, or you know, sometimes I can hit an abbreviated schedule before work, but I'm not. You know, I typically don't. If I'm going out for the day, it's not going to be bank fishing. No. 
I think it's a lot like a boat too. I mean, Donnie, like, so you go to your, your favorite stretch of river, say, how long are you spending at each spot? I think it kind of depends too on like, it's just like seasonality. Like how much confidence do you have in this spot? Like, I'm not going to burn like three hours at like a maybe spot, but right. I, might burn, I might burn five hours at a spot where I'm confident. Like say last year, I hooked a fish in the spot during high water and I'm there right now. Maybe I'll, I'll stick it out a little longer. I'll suffer through it. If I, if I think there might be a fish there or some days, like it's the total opposite, like an exploring day, you put on the Crocs, you kick your straps up, take your backpack and you go walk in the bank and you stay mobile. I mean, it's just, it all depends. That's the beauty of the bank yanking. I mean, you have the option. You can, you can park it in one spot if you're confident, like Nick did when he came down for our little fiesta or you you can Crocs. Yep. Yep. You're not going to do well. Bank fishing and Crocs, uh, especially well, not. That. There's like some of these areas, dude. You got like used heroin needles all over the ground. I'm not freaking. <laughs> he told me. He told me he's, the, the one time he's like, That's "Hey, just, Ryan, where's where's sand?" He's like, "Where's sandals?" Because you know your feet can get wet, right? So I'm like, "All right, well, this is the time of year. It's all right. We'll, we'll do that." So then we're walking in, and he goes, "Just be careful. There might be some used heroin needles down here." And I'm like. <laughs> What the and keep fudge? in mind, this is at like two fifteen in the morning, and the <laughs> this is black. literally it like, is like right before we jumped into the woods. I'm like, hey, you might want to watch out. There's some needles laying around. So, oh, I get, by uh, the way, I will stomp some human feces last week too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also true. <laughs> also true. I stepped in a pile. Of human turd. I'd stop by. <laughs> yeah. Nope. So don't be driving a Prius. <laughs> you might want to not listen to Tom's opinion on footwear. Just from the general safety <laughs> perspective, especially if you have any open wounds on your feet, just, yeah. just throwing that out there. Safety. An immune disorder. Ah, uh, Tom, did you have? Did you want to go more? You have more to talk about on Donnie's question because I I'm going to answer that one a little differently. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to go pee while you're doing that. Okay, so here, so th- this has kind of been interesting for me because you guys remember. I don't know. We're going to just talk. I'm going to find a way to bring vance up on every single episode we do apparently vance did an article in musky hunter like two years ago or whatever it was and the article was like turn around you guys remember that one yes i do i actually turn around every now and then (laughs) exactly so (laughs) i started thinking about this in his article And literally, like, I swear to you guys, I was out the eighth full trip to this area that I was fishing and it was, it was late December in in 2019. Okay. After beating this place up all fall, not moving a fish. And I just, I remember standing there thinking to myself, okay, I'm in here. And then I thought of Vance's article for some reason. And he just said, you you know, like turn around and just cast into the woods. No, I didn't. I in, in that article, <laughs> the important thing is to like stay in an area, right? Like if you catch a fish, turn around. Like, why are you leaving that area? Don't leave the area. Don't do what I've done the first five years of musky fishing and catch a fish and continue going up the lake two miles when you just caught a fish on a break or whatever it was back, you know. So Ball like walk. Spot lock. That's yeah. I was thinking about this and I was like, you know what? Listen, I'm on a creek right now. 
I know the, the area that I'm fishing. I know there's fish here. Is it a creek or a creek? It's a creek. <laughs> I know there's. I know there's fish here. Okay. I am not. I am going to stand in this spot all day. Okay. I got there. Sun came up. I was on the water. And I told myself, I'm not leaving. I'm standing in this spot. I'm going to cast the same freaking lines that I've been casting all day. And I'm not leaving here until I move a fish. And what I can tell you guys happened that particular time was I ended up, I, I went like, it was like something crazy. Like, well, maybe not crazy to you guys or anybody else, but I went like two for seven. And then I had like 20 something plus follows. Okay, that one particular day, that was my eighth trip to this area. And after not moving a single fish, that was how many fish I had contacted, you know, just by standing in the same spot. I literally was in the same spot from the sun coming up to the sun going down or whatever time I left. Okay, now, so did you did you have a follow or anything that prompted you to to? kind of lock it down and stick it to that spot. I told myself before this even happened, I was going to stay in one area because I, after talking to people and thinking about how these fish could be, and again, this is a rising water scenario. Okay. So I was thinking there's probably fish like up near a dam, or they're probably fish that are moving up and down this feeding, you know, there's fish that live here, but it's moving water. These fish are coming up from other areas. They're moving up and down all day. So I just figured at some point one's going to swim past and I'm going to get the bait in front of it. Well, you know, that day I, I caught those fish. That was the first fish I've ever caught by my, by myself, you know, and my first bank muskies essentially. So the way I kind of look at this thing, and this is a long winded explanation, but the way I've been looking at it is there are some days where I feel like you just need to stick it out in an area. And there are some days where you might fish five, six hours in an area and you don't move a fish or whatever. Maybe you have to move just to get a change, you know, scenery. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't know that I'm the run and gunner style bank fisherman. I do want to try like, a stretch of the river and say, okay, I'm going to go here, here, and here, and literally do the car hopping thing that we just talked about a little bit earlier. But I, I also feel like if I'm on say a Creek mouth or if I'm on a, a, a spot where I know there's going to be fish there year round and I'm going to stay there all day, I'm going to park yeah. and I'm going to camp. Right. And I, w- what I'll do is I'll change my casting angle. But yeah. so l- let me ask you this. You're talking about basically fishing, the exact same spot for an entire day. Mm-hmm. So I, in my mind, you have to be fishing some type of significantly moving water in terms of, you know, if, if you're at a lake, you're not going to sit and cast off of the same dock for all day. Well, I mean, I can't imagine that working. I was just going to say, Ryan, like he's mm-hmm. saying about parking your butt and fishing somewhere all day, our best, bank day we've had together was a scenario like that yeah but no that's a totally no that's a totally different scenario because that is a totally different that's that is not that is a totally different structure 
because it, it that's that whole bay area that that is fish coming up into that area so yeah. you're getting a constant recycling of fish that are coming into that area and it's at that very specific time of the year yeah so that is not like saying oh go park your ass you know that is canada lake where we yeah. know there are muskies we know there are muskies in canada lake and quite honestly we know there are muskies pretty damn close to my dock yeah. like i mean there's no question about that so i can't i don't think i'd have much confidence just saying oh go stand on my dock all day and- but that's the thing then so like we yeah. were saying about cues and nick was asking like if anything prompted you like that's a spot like say we went to that same spot tomorrow i would have no confidence parking there all day and fishing but that's but it's one got those, a, it's like, got a, there's some moving water there's some aspect to it that made that spot yeah. worth it to you to stand yeah. there for a day exactly yeah. yeah oh and with with where ryan's at that's kind of a you know i mean it's a small enough channel that it's almost like a one-dimensional operation so the fish either have to go past you know i mean they're either coming up past you coming or, or going swimming down past you so if you're parked, you know, I mean, they're they're probably not sitting still in that area. But so that's a gonna... pretty unique situation in terms of finding a spot where, okay, these fish have a limited area of ingress and egress. And so I can cast here and I've, I'm getting different fish coming in, you know, but to get 20 contacts of a fish while standing in one spot, like that means you're in a spot that you've found that is, a significant attractor of, of these fish, you know, yeah. and that's exactly what you're looking for, you know, like, so that's a, but it, I guess the question, I guess my question is, is that is not a typical type of advice. You did that because that area was something that you knew was a, that you, that you had seen fish or you just no, like decided no, I'm just going to fish. No, that's what I decided. I, I, I like I told you, I, I thought about Vance's article and like stay in an area where, you know, there's fish. Well, there's fish up and down that particular body of water. So why would I continue to spot hop, you know, when it hasn't worked the first seven times? You know what I mean? So I made the decision to, to stay put in that spot and fish it all day because I felt like maybe what was happening is I was moving so much throughout the, the day that I wasn't giving a spot enough time to produce. What was or, it about that spot? Like in particular, as opposed to the other spots there. So the other spots looked way better. <clears throat> you know, there was a lot of different structure, a lot of different laydowns. I was literally fishing the channel. I was pitching to dead center of the channel and I was letting the bait drift down while I was twitching it. And I was keeping it essentially dead center of the Creek. And I, I had not done that before. And it was just one of those things where I felt like I was trying to just put the bait out there to allow the fish to see it. You know, I wasn't fishing a lay down, you know, I wasn't fishing rocks. I wasn't fishing a flat or an area where I just felt like there was one sitting. I just was out there pitching baits out in the middle of the Creek and trying to get one to eat it as it was floating by. Cause I felt like the fish were moving up and down. Did you feel like a lot of those were the like the same fish at multiple? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had know. a couple, but I'm not going to say I probably contacted at least 12 different fish that day because they were all different sizes. I mean, there was a few in there that were a lot bigger than anything I had seen, you know, and there was a couple that were small. I mean, I, I definitely saw the same fish probably two or three times in a row, but 
I know there were multiple fish in there because they were all different sizes. So I don't know. My, my approach there would, it, it depends because like we, we talked about that, that day that Tom and I were out that to me, it's the same thing because again, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on there. I mean, we all know what's going on there, you know, with, with the spawn and things like that, but you know that there's fish there. Mm-hmm. So that's, why that's the difference? That's the difference, right? But is, that's is knowing that there's like if you know there are fish there, mm-hmm. that is that is reason one one hundred percent to to stand there and cast. And that's what I mean when I say that it's different because that area you know that fish are coming into that area yeah. during the springtime. So it's it, it, like there's a reason to stand there and cast for eight hours. Yeah. You know, I mean it, it, that's obvious. I, you know, that was my question was what made you do it there as opposed to some, you know, now, I don't want to tell one of our listeners to go stand in a creek bed for eight hours and be like, what the hell? I just threw my bait for eight hours and I didn't see shit. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's my approach, though. That's, I think it's I'm going to I'm going to do that moving forward. Like I'm going to even if I'm fishing and say I just pull up to a random ramp on the Allegheny. I'm going to literally, I'm going to go there on the intention of fishing that particular area all day long. And I'm going to do it multiple days until I learn it. And I see what happens there because I don't want to constantly be running and gunning. I want to give the spot enough time. And this yeah. is just my per. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. It's probably wrong, but I want to give that spot in that area as much time as I can. So if I'm going to pick a day to fish, I'm going to go and I'm going to find an area and I'm going to stay there all day. Yeah. And I'm just going to beat, the crap out of it well i see it like i mean I'm, I've, I've been removed from the hunting game for quite a few years but i think bank fishing and archery hunting have like a ton in common because i mean archery hunting think about it you're go say you go to your tree stand you have to get closer boat. that and say you go to your tree stand with your bow and you don't see a deer one night that doesn't mean necessarily there aren't deer there it just might not have been the right weather conditions to bring the deer into there. Maybe they're moving through a different path, like a hundred yards away. Maybe there's more food a little farther away. Like just because you, you can't base your decision on like a bank spot based off like one trip. Like I know a lot of guys that'll go to a spot, they'll throw their top water for an hour or two and they'll be like, all right, no muskie here. I'm done. Not coming back. And I don't think that's like a fair assessment on a spot. I mean, you really like, Ryan said he went seven days to a spot. And I mean, I, I went for my spot when I caught my first one, I probably put in a year and a half, just all just taking the punishment, just waiting to find like what brings those fish into here at this time. Like, and then once so you, you figure that out, that's when you go and you park your butt with the confidence, like mm-hmm. if I'm not moving, like I'm staying here, I'm waiting for it to happen. That's what, like, oh, when I go out. I'm oh, sorry, Donnie, go ahead. Uh-oh. All I was going to say is to Tom's point there, I mean, basically what you get into with the flowing water is just that these, if you see, it's not hard to kind of look at these spots on, on rivers and, and streams and, and uh, you know, these types of bodies of water and kind of pick out spots that look juicy or spots that mm-hmm. look fit. Uh, I feel like anybody with, you know, even a general fishing knowledge can, can do those things. It's mm-hmm. not signs the trick of it comes from finding out that these fish aren't always on these spots at different you know all the time there's a lot of seasonal patterns there's a lot of current variables and and so on and so forth and the only way you're going to figure those things out is by spending time on these spots and you might 
fish a spot that looks really fishy 25 times and on the 26th times 26th time you go there and, and you know bang three or four fish and it, you don't really understand why at first but after you do it for a while there's usually a pattern to it that you start to see of why these things are happening and, and you can start to repeat them but it, it's to Tom, go ahead. I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you Donnie no. like I I just want you know I feel like we haven't covered like the very basics of bank fishing quite yet in terms of like what would somebody need like if someone like we're, we've all talked about seeing fish in creeks and in like how you can you know where we might be able to find them or how to find them but you know what did you guys take with you like that's what so kind funny. of rock we, we, we've gone over like what your first fishing setup is in previous episodes, but like, you know, if I'm going bank yanking, what am I going to take with me to, to really catch a muskie and actually be able to release it live and, you know, handle it correctly. That's funny. Cause literally my next bullet point, I, I did it really simple in my phone. I organized that you need a spot. Second point. Now you're going to go there. So I guess <laughs> we're on that. We're on now. You're going to go there. Yes. Now right? you're going there. What are you okay. taking with you? Well, I could start off that one. I'd be glad to. But I, I think we kind of touched on this a few episodes ago too. You're you're not necessarily doing the Ryan Reed pack job for a day out on the tracker with Donnie. You're doing the uh you're gonna want to pack a little lighter, maybe maybe narrow it down. I know what I used to do was I would literally take like a Jansport backpack with one of those like four compartment planos stuff it as full as I could get baits into it. And that was like my, no, maybe not even, I might take two or three baits, but just pack light, be mobile, you know, take your tools. We, we touched on that. You don't, don't skimp out just because you're bank fishing. You still want everything that you would take in a boat. You need your net, you need your pliers, you need your cutters, jaw spreaders, glove, like you need all the stuff and that all can fit right in a backpack. I like to use, I have like one of those hunting backpacks. It's like from Walmart. It's like a stupid cheap backpack, but it holds like everything. I mean, I can put my tools in there. I can strap my net onto it. If I really want, it can hold up to like three Plano boxes. You just pack light and be able to move. We kind of, I think we kind of touched on that too. Like when you get to your spot, like don't skimp out, always take your net. And when you do get to your spot, like have it ready to go. Don't have your net like, leaning up on the tree four yards upstream like unfolded with like your backpack hanging off of it like have it unfolded have it on the ground have it like when you get to your spot like make an assessment like where's the best spot to land a fish at this spot and then set your net there like your net marks where you're gonna your ultimate goal is once you hook that fish to get to that net don't just wait till you hook the fish to think about all that because you're gonna have like musky brain you're not gonna be thinking correctly you're just going to be thinking, ah, oh, get him in the net. Oh. Like if you have your net in an optimum spot before you, like you have a goal, you hook that fish and you look right at that net and you know, like, okay, I'm going there. Like that's the safest spot for me and the fish. And that's, that's like the biggest thing for me. I, th like I said, last episode, there've been times where I found like a really cool spot on Google earth. I've gone there and I look at it and I'm like, well, this is like a really good spot, but there's nowhere for me to like safely handle a fish here. <clears throat> like maybe I'm up on a 15 foot like dam wall or something. Like I'm not going to drop a muskie 15 feet down into the water, like to release it. Like you just, you have to make that assessment of like, is this like a landable spot? Like, can I take care of a muskie here? That's my biggest thing anyway. That's where you need to go to the, uh, 
what is that the new dick store and get your climbing gear yep hell down that damn wall yep mm-hmm. yeah get they got position. everything you need if you want to go rock climbing right. <laughs> <laughs> nothing if you want to make leaders nope. <laughs> i noticed when we go bank fishing too though ryan kind of does the same thing with his tackle like he'll like when we we keep talking about our epic bank day like you don't necessarily have your gear like right on you, but like your tools and stuff, like keep your tools near your net, but then you can set up like a little home base, like your own little tackle shop, like where you're changing lures, like have your water, your snap, whatever, like make it like your own little area. Like I noticed Ryan does that. He'll take over like a little spot where his boxes will be and his snacks and the extra jacket and the camera. It's like six rods out. Yeah. Every 10 feet with a bobber hanging yeah. down, right? The whole thing. Yep. The jingle bells on the tip. That's, I, uh, yeah. that, and, now, that's my kind of bank yank. Oh, if yeah. Bank yank, I'd like to have a little campfire. Yeah. Like, you know, I want a chair. Yes. So I, here's I a chair. kind of a, a funny story. My friends and I, when we were, you know, probably 12 to 14, used to always go and try and catch catfish in what turns out to be one of the best bank yanking musky spots <laughs> in our area. And we would just sit there and make a fire on the bank and catch nothing. I think we caught a bowfin and a perch on yeah. just big night crawlers wadded up on the bottom. But now I've you know contacted a ton of muskies there. And, but that's just a... Uh, well, that, that, I even, we were talking. Go ahead. Tony. I was just going to say, we were talking about that earlier. I mean, that's some people were like, I need a musky spot. Like, it's just a fishy spot. Look for look for a spot where there's fish, you know? Like Everything you, else is just bait. Yep. Everything else is there. Yep. I guarantee you there's a big predator not far away. Fishy I, water is fishy water. I will, yep. I will echo tom though i mean we talked about this with jeff too but having that plan and i you know trying to figure all that stuff out ahead of time that's like super critical i did not do that the first time that i actually contacted fish you know nor did i actually have a net at that point you know so it's to have all that stuff it it it's worth bringing it it's worth being able to carry the tools you need like cutters you know, cause you never know when you're going to need to cut hooks and things like that. Um, I mean, that's just such like a critical thing that gets overlooked. I feel like, mm-hmm. but I, um, I want to talk about casting angles real quick, if that's okay with you guys. Have at it. Cause yeah, I, I let's get into a little more techniques. I like that. I just, this is like, this has been a game changer for me. Okay. Cause like when I was younger, you know, my dad would take us out and you just, cast little worms and bobbers everywhere you know you there was no real rhyme or reason to catching bluegill we just knew that we did it right like you'd go mm-hmm. out and you'd cast well kind of transitioning from like lake fishing into creek fishing or river fishing i feel like the cast i feel like casting is like a big deal i feel like trying to pinpoint specific areas to cast to and really like focus on your retrieve is like such a big deal and the one thing that's kind of helped me catch more fish and contact more fish is particularly like if I'm fishing a spot for, let's say I'm, I'm there for five or six hours and I haven't moved a fish. 
while I'm fishing water that's literally skinny enough to like walk down around and cross, you know, and essentially get to the other side. Well, it's crazy to me that you could literally cast the same area for like five or six hours and not move a fish. But if you like walk to the other side of these smaller creeks and you just change your casting angle, next thing you know, you have like a 42, a 42 inch muskie in the bag. Like that fish has been sitting there all day. Like it has been in that area potentially all day since you were there. I mean, maybe it just moved in, but I highly doubt it. Like, I feel like I've had more fish in the same area contacted just by like switching the, the angle at which I'm casting. Mm -hmm. So here's a question. Would you rather cast upstream and work it with the current or downstream and work it up into the current? I want in on this one too, after you, Ryan. Yeah. um, I, I have contacted more fish. This is just my opinion. I've contacted more fish by pitching upstream and letting the bait come down with some, you know, light working with some light. Yes. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I mean, you just gotta, you gotta be able to work the baits, but I have not moved nearly as many fish pitching the opposite way. Um, And I've noticed that if I, the more parallel I get to some of these areas like this, and again, I'm talking skinny water here, like the more like parallel with the bank that I get in some instances, like, again, it, depending upon the time of year, I'm moving more fish. Like, it's just weird, but I'd rather pitch up and let it come back down to me. So that's, that would be my answer on that one. (laughs) I would agree a thousand percent, but like when the opportunity presents itself to be working like against the current, I think I love doing that, especially with like, I, you know, me, I love my pop waters <clears throat> and I find that it's like a little hard, like say your bank yank at a river, you're throwing the top water upstream. You're going to get like a little funkiness until that bait gets even with you. Cause if you can picture it in your head, I mean the top, what you're pulling the top water in the same way the current's going, like it doesn't yeah. have enough like forced to make that tail prop go you know either have to run it really fast or yeah faster than usual or and the the exact opposite like if you're throwing downstream you can run that top water that bucktail so much slower so i think when that's like effective like if you're trying to slow presentations down i think fishing downstream is like a huge advantage Especially top water, top water, like you're, I know Ryan, you like crankbaits a lot. So you have the advantage casting upstream there. You don't need a whole lot of resistance to make that thing work as long as you're twitching it. But on something like a bucktail or like a prop bait, anything that's spinning like that, you do need a little resistance to get that bait to work. And I, I have a lot of difficulty working it back downstream toward me in moving water. Yeah. I don't, I saw you shaking your head too. So is that, like when you're out just on a boat river fishing, are you, I mean, when you're looking at the same scenario or you, is that your preference to pitch? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've definitely uh, to what Tom alluded to. I, I mean, it's, I can certainly say that there's been times where I've used the current, uh, you know, maybe fishing, bringing my baits upstream to, to slow roll a bucktail or, or what have you. And, and it has worked. I'm not going to say it doesn't work, but, Typically, uh, I, I definitely feel like I've had a lot more success when I bring my bait, uh, you know, moving in, in what I would consider more of the natural direction that the bait fish is going to be moving, kind of working downstream 
moving with the current. Uh, it just, yeah, it seems like it's usually a, a better, a more often it's successful than going against the current for me. Now, I, I have caught the occasional curveball fish by literally like not moving a fish for like two hours and then just pitching down and bringing it back up. I I've had, I have caught fish that way, but I just, I know based on my records, I write all this stuff down and I know that I've moved a lot more fish that, you know, casting up, but I do have one question for you guys here too. Cause I, I experienced this in 2020 and I had not ever read about this or experienced it um, prior to this, but so on some of our reservoirs late in the season, and I'm primarily doing my bank yanking like December, January, February, I've noticed a lot of dead shad. Okay. Like tons of dead shad and these shad float, you know, sometimes you'll see them a couple inches below the surface. Sometimes they're right on top. Um, I have literally, I've caught, I want to say it's been like four muskies literally pitching a jerk bait like a and this is a downsized jerk bait here like a four and a half inch jerk bait i have literally caught four fish casting it and not moving it a single like bit i, I literally cast it in the current and let the current drift the bait down and the fish just eats it no oh. no working the bait at all that's something i've seen on my local lake in the spring, there's usually always a crappy die off mm -hmm. and you'll, you'll see them just come right up and just wolf down a floating dead crappy with no, no life to it at all. So in, in the first time this ever happened to me, it scared the crap out of me because I was literally, I had cast it out and I was just, the other thing I want to talk about at some point is countdowns because I feel like that's important too, but, mm -hmm. um, I was counting a bait down and I was playing with my phone and I had the rod like sitting, I was like standing, sitting on like a bridge abutment basically. And all of a sudden, like the rod, just like the drag just took off. And I was like, uh, what the heck is going on here? And I like <laughs> sat back and it was sure it was a muskie. It was like a 35 inch muskie or whatever it ended up being. And, uh, 46. Yeah. No, I don't catch them that big, mm -hmm. but <laughs> you know, I didn't do anything with the bait. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, I, I didn't realize like, and I, and then I started putting two and two together. Like there's a ton of dead shad in here right now. You know, maybe that bait just hang in there ever so slightly. The fish just saw it and whacked it, but I've literally caught at least three other muskies that way, like on purpose, just like dead sticking a jerk bait, not even moving it, letting it float in the current. So I feel like there's something to that. I just don't know what, because it hasn't happened enough for me to feel like that's a tactic I should be doing. You know what I mean? I think that's, that's one of those things where you just have to be aware of like what the forage is and kind of be, be prepared for something like that. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it, you know? Well, this is a stupid point and it's probably pretty obvious, but like going into technicalities and your what you're using and where you're fishing uh i think it goes without saying keep it cheap a muskie will hit a lure that doesn't cost two hundred dollars 
and you don't have to be throwing your, you know, your $150 blue water bait from the bank and worrying about getting it in a log jam. You can throw your $10 Rapala. The muskie will like it just as much, I promise. My general rule for bank yanking is I don't take anything that I'm not willing to lose. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're good swimming for. That's like the, the caveat. My yeah. general rule for bank yanking is I sit on the bank and watch Ryan cast. Mm-hmm. Are we <laughs> leaving yet, Ryan? Uh, yeah can we can we go do something else now <laughs> i'm fine i just hang out i just get him a coloring book he's fine get him a happy meal an, an adult coloring book some some pencils <laughs> colored pencils were good adult coloring book yeah is that, a, is that a dirty coloring book right yeah it's like the adult photo hunt at the bar <laughs> If you guys have not seen adult coloring books, maybe no. I need to reevaluate my life. <laughs> no, it, it it goes to uh, you know having children. <laughs> At one point, I forget what it was. Like I said, no, no, that's an adult movie, and it <laughs> and it was like, man, that just didn't sound right. You know, telling my kids that something was an adult movie, not that it was an not that it was a pornography movie. Next thing you know, like, you're gonna. Have- you're going to have Mormons protesting outside your house. <laughs> like that's I, a, an, an, an adult coloring book, like, you know, an adult video shop. Well, that can be read a couple different ways. I, so to Tom's point there, though, I feel like this is kind of, be, this is like a confidence thing for me. Like if I'm not fishing and, and I, and, and, and believe me when I tell you this, I've gone through like hundreds of dollars of like snack gear just since like 2019 in, in some of these areas, particular, I'm just going to say this particularly lock three. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of snag. Baits in yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what I'm getting at though, is like in order to fish some of these areas and to be successful, you have to be willing to make contact with that stuff. You have to be willing to put that lure in danger to catch oh. a fish. Okay, so if you're not willing to put a lure at risk to catch a muskie, you're Leave not going to catch a muskie. Yeah. You're just not. I've, I've done it. I know that seven times, my first seven times bank yanking, I'm, I was not willing to do what I needed to do. And I lost baits. Like I lost muskie lures, like bigger muskie lures thrown at stuff. And I don't know. I just, I feel like you're absolutely right, Tom. Like, and you don't even have to, like, Honestly, I've caught muskies on like cotton cordell rattle baits from Walmart yeah. and they're like four bucks. Yeah. You know, like they're not the greatest thing. You know, people complain about, you know, some of that stuff being cheap and the hooks and yeah, maybe but, upgrade them a little bit. Do your due diligence with if the hooks look kind of janky, maybe put some nicer mm-hmm. hooks on. But don't you don't have to have your seventy five dollar glide bait to go catch a bank fishing muskie. Right. And you don't need like the the 15 20 rattle baits to do that either you know there's other so i just think you you have to feel confident in the lure and you have to be able to put it in danger to catch these fish and, and be confident that if you you know if you're going to lose something you're not going to be that tore up about it like nick said gotta risk it to get the biscuit think yeah. of uh ralphie from uh the simpsons <laughs> i'm in danger <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
Well, I know one of my baits that I like when I'm bank yanking. Huh. If I'm, we're talking about exploring new spots. I mean, you're not going to go to a new spot <clears throat> from the shore, not knowing how deep it is, put on a husky Medusa and huck it and pray. Like, might not be the best call just showing up at a new spot. I like to start with like a crown. And I know Ryan likes to do it too. Start with like a crankbait or something. Yeah, something generally like rubber and rivers don't go together. Yeah. So at uh, least if you're not how you do it intimately. Yeah, so maybe just like something with a little bit of buoyancy. I mean, a bucktail, maybe even bucktail is a little dangerous if you're not familiar. If you're burning it, keeping it up near the top, it's fine. But I, I really like trying to crankbait into water because that allows you to do what Ryan was saying. You can put it in danger. You can really get it down, bash it off the bottom. You can feel that bottom. Is it scraping across rocks or is it getting mushed up in like a bunch of cabbage? Like you can learn so much from just casting a crankbait like feeling around with it kind of yeah crankbaits i mean probably your best search bait as far as that goes and in, in any real scenario boat fishing or bank yanking it makes just as much sense being able to get them down beat them off the rocks let them rise back up or whatever it is you're you're working with and kind of feel out the structure especially with you guys and obviously not being able to map or or anything like that yeah. You know, you're relying completely on that type of search to yeah. really kind of feel out the water that you're you're fishing and what your depths are mm-hmm. to work with and all of that. I and would assume, a, right? Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to build your mental map because that's all it is. You don't have your hummingbird to look down at. It's all like a mental map, like kicking it mm-hmm. back to the old days. It's I, to my left is shallow and to my right is deep. It's not a waypoint. Thirty nine is ten yards to the right. It's like it's all just mental. And that crankbait's going to really help you paint a picture of that ball right. around you. Yep. Owen's been pretty quiet. Because I've got, you know, I, I have zero experience in this, in this area. You know, I, I don't even know, you know, how to fish a bucktail from the bank. Because I would think that it would get snagged damn near immediately. You know, like, so... It will. That's why I'm always telling yeah. you to make those ultralight ones. Well, yeah, no, and it makes sense. And yeah. so if, if I find out that people want that and that people are going to fish something like that, I mean, that's one of the things I'm trying to figure out here for the shows is what am I building? You know, what am I trying to do here? Do I want to make lighter casting bucktails? Do I want to, you know, like the bigger bladed bucktails, you know, did not sell. So I know people aren't bank yanking with like, double tens that i mean i those are the things that i'm learning here that's what one of my favorite baits of yours for river stuff was i think you it was like maybe a six or seven inch long shank with i think it was like an eight inch fluted indiana just single blade that that single that that single bladed fluted indiana was actually the thing that sold the best and i'm i was actually just uh out in the shop before we started this podcast priming a bunch of those blades because i want to i want to have those because yeah they are they they're light enough and they're you know you can fish those pretty easily from just about anywhere so that's that's definitely something that but i mean the typical big bladed bucktail is not your you know typical bank you know something you would go and throw not the pennsylvania special right but a smaller that's what you're describing nick is more like a buker tail 
it's like a, a buker tail kind of like a, a 700 that's yeah something like that yeah donnie what were you saying i said send me all those big bladed bucktails i'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> hey you can have you can have any bucktails you want man you you are bro staff bro staffer <laughs> i always so- wanted to be on a bro staff <laughs> so I have another I have another one here. Unless Tom, what's the next one on your list? Unless you want me to oh, fire away. So I mean the reason I want to bring this up is because this has been this is one of those attention to detail things that have literally helped me catch more fish from shore. And that is so I am you guys know it. This is my time of year where I like to downsize. I essentially go bass fishing for muskies in the winter. Um, that's what I've been doing the last couple of years. And that's how I was successful. You know, like when I was talking to, this goes back to my conversation with Evan, it's like, well, do what you, you know, do best and, and maybe try to downsize because of pressure. So that's what I went to is like bass style jerk baits. And I really like these types of jerk baits that you can cast out and just let sink. Okay. And I like to be able to count down baits. So when I'm casting on, the rivers or the creeks or even the lakes I've done this and I'll cast the jerk bait out and I will literally count it down. And I will say like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, start my retrieve. Then the next cast, I might do a five Mississippi. Then the next cast, I might do seven. Um, I had a day in the winter where I had, this was last year. I think it was last year. Yeah, it was last year. Um, And it was just like one of those weird things where I moved a fish on like a 12 count. And if you're, if you're paying attention, like, I honestly feel like some of these baits will get down. If you let them sink, you know, I was probably running that. I was probably working that bait a little close, you know, closer to the bottom of the column at that point. And, you know, I moved, I hooked and lost the fish. And then the next cast I went with the 12 and I hooked and lost another fish. And then it was like, I went, I ended up going like two for seven or two for nine that day. I can't remember what it was, but it was all on 12 count. Didn't matter what area I was in of, you know, what spot on the Creek I was in. It didn't matter. It was, it was literally a 12 count that day. And I, I don't know that I can explain it to you guys, but one thing I have noticed in the limited experience I have, which is, you know, this is minimal compared to a lot of people. I just feel like if you can find like a specific spot in the column that that bait can sink to, and you can start your retrieve and you're moving fish, like that's something that you can replicate and something that could produce multiple fish for you that day. Tom, do you think that's fair? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's huge for anything, even in a boat. And that's like, it's knowing like where you're, like you said, like where in the column you want to be, but also knowing like enough about your bait to know where it's at in the column. Mm-hmm. Like I see a lot of people, they'll just throw a bait out, bring it in. And like, you can tell they're like paying no mind. Is that bait like riding toward the surface? Is it really digging? Like, is it, what is it doing? So it's like a, it's like a combination of that, knowing where you want to be. And like, like you knew it took a 12 count or whatever to put your bait where you wanted it, <clears throat> whether it was that got it five feet down, six feet down, whatever you had, like a, a mental map of that too. Like my bait is here. I want it here. This is what it takes to get it there. And that's, that's a huge thing. I see like, like so many people that I take like musky fishing for the first time, they'll just like throw out a crankbait and bring it in. And I'll be like, okay, well, like how deep do you think that was running? 
and they'll be, oh, I don't know, like, like six, seven. I'm like, dude, no way. That was like down one foot. Like you were reeling it slow. You you have to have like an awareness of like where is that bait? Like, and that's 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 another reason I like the crankbait because you can really feel around. Like, and like you said, the sinking versus sinking or suspending versions, you can count them down, feel when you're coming across the bottom, adjust accordingly. Yeah, and I started paying attention to, and I'm just gonna throw this out there. Like, if I like throwing a Rapala shadow wrap or whatever this is yeah like a yeah like a shadow wrap you know one of the things i wasn't doing before you know i was looking at like some of these they have like the shallow and deep models well you know sometimes like as a fisherman we should be paying attention to this and understand the baits we're throwing like tom just said and i wasn't doing that initially so you know, now I know like, okay, I'm going to take my shallow versions and my deep versions of this particular color, you know, to this particular body of water, because now, you know, if I need to get a touch deeper, I've got something that I can still work, something that will get down there. So I don't know that I just, it's been like really important to me and it's helped me catch more fish by paying attention to almost like a cast cadence, you know, and really kind of focusing on the details of like every single cast so I can remember what I did in case I did move a fish. Yep. Donnie, do you do that? Do you guys do that from the boat? Cause I can tell you, I never do from when I'm like fishing with you. I never remember what I did on that cast. <laughs> I mean, do I try to? Yes. But you know, sometimes I'm, usually I remember up until the time when I actually catch a fish. I need to remember. And then I sit there after it all happened and I think, okay, what did I actually do on that cast or what was I doing? You know, it's like, was that one that I counted it down? Was that one that I reeled it in? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I I try to do my best to pay, pay attention, be cognizant of what I'm doing there too, because it's, it's, it is, it's a huge factor uh, for sure. Just out of curiosity for me, Donnie, that uh, big fish that came on the pounder, was that yeah. was he fishing that pretty deep, or was that kind of just uh, close to the surface? I I, I laugh because uh, he actually caught that fish. I can tell you that uh, I didn't have the boat in the ideal position for us to be casting at the moment. I'll say that. So he basically just kind of tossed out a haphazard cast with a bulldog and said that he was just reeling it straight in not even really doing anything with it and that fish just exploded out basically came right straight up from out of nowhere right next to the boat and just engulfed that that pounder Uh, (laughs) that that, uh, definite proof that there's no wrong way to work a bulldog that's for sure because they just he wasn't even really doing anything with it that's why i was just curious if he was you know counted down some like owen nope. and i up on lake nipissing we're trying to fish some deeper structure you know 12 14 feet down mm-hmm. and we were kind of throwing big rubber and trying to get yeah. it down deep like that but i wasn't sure if that was the scenario you were at or uh i mean not in that particular scenario no but there's a lot of times where i do count down the rubber uh I'll say like last year I went uh, I, I went on a guided trip on St. Clair as well. I was out at St. Clair twice last year, and I went out with uh, Rick Casey fishing the D guide service, and we were fishing. 
in the St. Clair River uh, due to the time of year. And it was pretty interesting to me because there is a lot of current in that river. Uh, you know, I'm used to fishing rivers and current, but this was a new ball game of current. And uh, we were still casting these weed edges along the, along the, uh, the river banks, but it drops off so steep that it was all counting these bulldogs down and kind of letting them ride the weed edge down into the channel and it, getting that cadence or that count correct in, in the, and getting that bulldog to, to sink in the right manner was the key to seeing fish or not seeing fish on almost every cast. It was pretty incredible uh, how intricate it actually was. If you didn't get the count right, you didn't get action. You just didn't get to the depth and the fish just weren't there. Interesting. It really opened my eyes to yeah. you know some of the stuff I yeah, even do. That's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Sorry, I sidetracked just a little no, bit. No, that that it happened. That's like that's such a cool thing though, because I mean anything that we can put together, you know, especially at our what I would consider our fishing levels, you know, like none of us are here or guides. I mean. Donnie, Tom, you guys have been doing this for a while. Nick, I know you have too, but like any little pieces of information we can put together to make us better fishermen, you know, that that's a cool experience that I think could help people. And it kind of, you know, just reassures in my mind that, you know, doing some of the countdown stuff and really trying to understand where the baits are at. I mean, that's a difference of leaving home with a, with a skunk or not, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's just, it's so interesting how these fish work. And they just, they're so freaking picky on specific days. They, you know, some days they just want a 12 count, you know, it's just stupid. It is. <laughs> it's no different than trolling in the boat. Like Donnie, like some days they want you trolling. They want you knocking the bottom. Some days they want it running yep. with the swivel touching the tip of the rod and they want the bait a foot down and it's no different yep. bank fishing. You just got to. That's where I've got. You know, you only get bites if the bait's four foot down. And then there's other days where I can't buy a bite if my bait's not running 10 foot down, yeah. you know. Out there the boat, you have the awareness to know, like, oh, we got to let like 15 more feet of line out. It's the same mm -hmm. way from the bank. Okay, wait, I have to count it down maybe five, 10 more seconds. Right. Count it down five less seconds and get that thing moving to get it up higher in the call limits. Mm -hmm. Just about that awareness. Only you don't have a chart to show you from the bank, so you're at a little disadvantage. Yeah, Tom, what else do you have on your list? We got well, this is this is the point where my list started to get kind of fuzzy and open to interpretation. So <laughs> open to go with that. Go. It's one way to put it. It's one way to put things that, that we're at, we're at the end of our. End in of other, our yeah, in other words, there wasn't much more to the list. Time for Owen to leave and for things to just go completely haywire. Yeah, no, we gotta. We That's gotta right. Get That's right. Time for me to go put my kids to bed and for you guys to fall apart. Get off topic until yeah. if someone falls asleep. Yeah, that's usually about right. Well, all right, boys. Well, hey, hey this is this has been enjoyable tonight. So, Nick, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, I was just gonna spin it to you and uh, say if or you got anything exciting coming up for the show season. Uh, you know what? It's I'm I'm getting started in terms of you know putting things together. It's been kind of crazy because yeah, you know, I mean I only had one show 
and that was Muskie Max in 2020. So these shows coming up, Muskie Max 2022, uh, you know, I'm I'm taking a completely different tactic than I did back in 2020, which was kind of like just put everything out there. So I'm just working on, um, you know, like you were actually saying about that single bladed bucktail that uh, that is one of the things that I've been working on that I'm going to be uh, there's going to be some available that, you know, I felt like that a lot of guys around here, I mean, the double tens and the double nines just aren't necessarily what people throw, you know, it's just in, yeah, I, I, I will make those. I will always make those, but you know, I think I'm, I'm focusing this year more on smaller stuff and I'm going to be doing a lot on the spinner baits because I think with, uh, with both casting and trolling, especially with trolling, I mean, you know, I know, I know, we, you know, we have not had, personally as a group we have not had a ton of success running them this year i mean they've been they've they've caught a bunch of fish this year and you know i i really think that those spinner baits are going to be something that locally guys who tend to troll who are you know they don't don't typically think okay i'm gonna go buy bucktail so i can cast all day long you know they're they're typically trolling so i think the spinner baits are going to give those guys a reason to come out and look at my stuff and say, Hey, you know, it's not just casting bucktails. You know, I've got all these, I've got these other spinner baits that, I mean, these three ounce ones, man, no, they'll, they'll run five, five feet, six feet trolling pretty easily. And, uh, and, and, and they will catch fish. So in the I'm, ultra, I'm really looking- they, we were talking about a good search bait for bank fishing there. There's a good search bait for bank fishing right there. Yeah, I mean the other the other thing is is you know doing like a really light like almost like the same weight as the casting bucktail, basically just like a one ounce or a three quarter ounce uh, keeled weighted you know spinner bait, but I mean those things have you know guys fishing from the banks where you know the the single hook will bounce off the bottom, as opposed to getting caught on stuff. Uh, you know, it, it, I really, I look forward to seeing what local guys will, will do with my baits this year. It was one, I did sacrifice one bank fishing the, the prototype, uh, triple bladed spinner bait, rest in peace. I got it a little too dangerous. I got a little too dangerous with it as Ryan Reed would say, and it is now at the bottom of the river, uh, rusting away. We did. We, we replaced that, didn't we? Yes, we did. So, but just, okay. just in, in memory, we'll, we'll little pour a little bit out for the prototype spinner bait. All right, um, good, good. Oh, and have you ever like done any much with like uh, those stagger type uh, deals with your bucktails? Oh, yeah, you Tons. with that at all? Tons. <laughs> okay. In fact, yeah. I, I like the the fact that you know that it became a real big thing this year. I actually, the, the, very, the very first year I started making bucktails, I like my thing was the, doing the staggers. And it, it was like, I, I caught, I've caught more fish uh, in Canada on, in Nipissing with, with a stagger than I have on anything else. It's mm-hmm. like, it, you know, it's just a different, you know, and I can see why Musky Mayhem and, you know, Musky Frenzy you know, all these places have had success with it over the last couple of years, because it does, it gives off a different 
vibration. And if you're fishing highly, highly pressured waters where fish might get used to a certain type of vibration, uh, mm -hmm. you know, doing a 10, eight or a 10, nine can make a big difference. I mean, the 10, eight actually is what I think I've caught more fish on in Canada is on a 10, eight, which is a very strange you know, it, it's kind of like that, the nine, seven trigger, whatever the, you know, the musky mayhem. I mean, it's an odd stagger, Yeah. but, but sometimes it'll like almost, it almost caught. gives like a, like an off, you know, the whole yes. bait moves, like the whole bait moves because it's at, at, a, at one moment, at one moment, like that one blade gets caught separately and it like will move the bait and boy, man, it, it really does make a difference. So yeah, that is, you know, I'm still in the, I'm still 100% in the, in the, you know, the phase of figuring out what the hell people want, you know, because I could build anything, you know, I could, I could build up, I could build every bait to come to Muskie Max to be a 10, eight stagger, you know, or, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put a bunch of different things together, but in what I didn't do, what I what I'm doing this this year that I didn't do last time was I'm having a more concentrated or more um, set color schemes. Like I'm going to have, I'm going to have set kind of, uh, you know, colorways, if you will, like where, that. you know, as opposed to having like a hundred different, you know, you know, skirt and blade combinations, because that's really what you can do. You can do a billion different, you know, combinations, but, you know, I decided to say, okay, I'm going to do like, you know, 10 or 12 different skirt colors. And then I'm going to, I'm going to pair those up with what I think is the best blade combination for those skirt colors. And that's what it's going to be. It's going to be, you know, like for instance, you know, I'm going to, I'm doing a bunch of the black, black skirts with the nickel blades, you know, and, and, you know, it's, I could do black skirts with orange blades. I could do black skirts with yellow blades. I could do black skirts with any blades, but it's like first I have got to pick something, you know, I've got to kind of set some, some parameters. So that's what I've been doing recently is kind of saying, okay, these are the, the color ways that I think are going to be, you know, that I, I want people to focus on. And next year, my color ways may be completely different. You know, they may be, uh, I, I may find that nobody liked the purple and, and, you know, gold. So, you know, we'll see. I'm really looking forward to it this year because I think that people may come to the shows knowing like, hey, I'm looking for bucktails or they may say I'm looking for spinner baits or whatnot. So um, I'm really looking forward to these shows and I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing Muskie Max and I'm also set to do the New York Muskie Expo which is uh, up in Chautauqua. I think it's April, I forget the dates, April like 9th and 10th or 10th and 11th, something like that. Yeah. Hey, Alan, so, I was going to ask real quick, are you still going to do the MTO thing at the shows? I'm not sure. Uh, I probably will to a, to a much smaller degree. Um, I mean, that was, yeah, I think I, I probably will, but not, not having like as many options, if, if you will, it just makes it difficult to make everybody happy. You know, it's like you, you gotta say, Hey, look, these are my things. Like these are the blades that I'm working with. Cause everyone will come up and say, Oh, like you have, 
you have a 10 and an eight. Can you make me a nine, six? And it's like, yeah, theoretically I can, but that would require me to come, you know, go order six, you know, number six blades and paint them in this color. And like, sure, I'll do that. Like if you want, if that's what you want, but it's not going to happen right here, you know? Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, I do intend to have some level of that uh, because I really think people, people like that. Mm Mm-hmm. I just thought that was one of the coolest things I've ever saw at a musky show, personally. But I could tell you what I want, and I want some of those staggers. So. That was my favorite the first year. I'm serious, nine man. Eight. Those 9.8s, those the 10.8s, yeah. those staggers, are, are they are killer. They're absolutely yeah. killer. Yeah. I think I so that's, that's where I... That's where I get into this thing where like I want to prepare for the musky shows, but... It's like, how do I, I can't build five ten eights and five ten nines and five eight eights and five nine nines. And it's like, you just, you know, this shit just gets so expensive. You just literally cannot do that. I yeah. mean, and the, the bills for Flashaboo alone are, are you know, ridiculous. So I've, I'm realizing like, I've got to pick my, gotta dial my it in poison, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I just checked, and the New York Muskie Expo is the 9th and 10th of April, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and then 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on the 10th. So That's going to be at the Chautauqua Inns and, Inn and Suites. Yep. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's that's being put on by Steve Gold. Trophy who, time. Uh, yeah, trophy time. Trophy time leaders and all that cool stuff. Uh, he does awesome I mean, his leaders are are absolutely top notch. I don't think I've ever fished any of his baits. I see that he's making uh, crank baits and whatnot, and they look they look awesome from what you know they from what I see online. They look incredible. So, uh, shout out to Steve for for you know working hard in this musky space, which is a very limited, uh, you know, I guess space to move around in, especially here on the East Coast. I think isn't Baker involved in that too, Zach? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. I think there's going to be some uh, kind of different uh, vendors at that one that'll we don't typically see at Muskie Max, do. Did I? Oh yeah, if you look at the vendor list, it's definitely a different. I mean, there's a bunch of the same. You know, a bunch of the, the heavy hitters. Yeah. You know, the Fat AZs, the Red Octobers, you know, all those guys that are, you know, the major, major. I mean, Legend's going to have a, a booth, I think I saw. Those guys are always going to be there. But it's kind of, I think, like, the smaller smaller guys, yeah, you might have some more options up there. Ryan Reed's eyes got real bright when you said Legend's going to have them. It was like uh, the biggest pie plates my eyes got there. I uh <laughs> Legend, Supernatural, Blue Water, maybe even DK is supposed to be there. No, All those. Really? I'm going to stick with the jointed perch bait. So yeah, yeah. did I dream this or did I see this somewhere that the Odyssey was the same weekend? Oh, boy. I did not see that, but that would be definitely be interesting. That would be a conflict. When, when's the Odyssey? Because I, I, I swear it's I saw. It's normally in April. I don't know, but. Yep. I'm excited to go spend money for the first time in two years. I, I, have the money. 
Max before that, right? Yeah, yeah Musky yeah, Max is on. a month. Musky Max is a full month ahead of time. So I gotta, uh, I gotta look at the vendors list and make sure I don't blow all my money at the Musky Max. If there's stuff that's gonna be in the New York show that I gotta, I gotta save a little bit of money. Yep. Same, same weekend. Same weekend. Let me, say, let me say this: that you know, in terms of anybody, the you know, the two to three listeners that might be out there. You know, the Musky Max guys are welcome to hang out at the Big O's Bucktails booth uh, for the Musky Max and also the New York Musky Expo. So hopefully I'll be having all you guys up there, you know, for both of those things for at least portions of the days. If anyone wants to stop by and uh, and and shoot the shit with the with the hump. I'll be signing Crocs for twenty dollars per signature <laughs> and I'll throw them out for free. <laughs> <laughs> i'll be grilling I'm, sausages for everybody <laughs> i just told deanna that i wasn't doing any shows this year and uh that that's probably gonna change after i yeah. start feeling better you know yeah. it's just one of those things <laughs> yeah i knew that wasn't true as soon as you said it well I t- <laughs> when i say that i, I do max because that one's a that one's always the show for me i mean that's the one that yeah got but me, you don't have to do, you don't have to do it you don't have to do it for anyone else's reasons like yeah yeah, like yeah you're you can go there now and like it's dude you're just there to have fun and enjoy yourself if you want to do some stuff for your youtube channel cool mm. i mean i love ryan i love that you did like the individual interviews with the different vendors because i think it gave a a a really different insight into some of these booths that you go walk to and you don't get a chance to like spend time there you know, and you know the 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 vendors are busy talking to the other people. You know, other people. You don't get a chance to get the backstory on how they started building baits. What they, you know, I I I one hundred percent think that you know if if you don't do that as your you know Ryan Reed fishing PA Ryan Reed that we should you know try to do something in terms of having small interviews with with bait makers because no one gets to to understand the background of it like how do people get started like all these people are local they are all people just like us they're none of these folks are like big corporate bass pro shops uh you know guggen bait squad any of that stuff like they're all just local people local people mm-hmm. and i think it's fascinating to find out how these local people got involved in this because you never know who's going to be the next person to make a bait that is just like dynamite you know we'll give ryan and tom a case of uh white claws and the microphone and no don't ever include me in on the white claw stuff i want to draw i want to draw a line in the sand on that one he's more of a a truly guy Yeah, yeah no i at least need a beer i can't I mean, I'm not saying I don't indulge in the claw every now and again, but I'm not as hard. You don't wear Crocs. You drink drink real beverages. I wear big boy shoes and I drink big boy (laughs) beverages. Arguable. (laughs) And I catch, you know, mid 30 inch muskies. Big boy bluegills. Big boy bluegills. Big boy rock bass. Bear paw trout. Bear paw trout. Well, you know, you got to hold them. They're slick. Good old Bobby Bear Paws. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to wrap this one up. Is that what we're doing yeah. right now? I think that's All what right, we're doing. So right I was now. trying to motion move towards it. <laughs> so uh, the music. we're going to 
is there uh, i'm just gonna say special thanks to pennsylvania monsters tom vanata that guy special thanks special thanks to swink outdoors donnie swink we still have swink out swink outdoors still has a facebook page right sure sort (laughs) of special thanks to larissa thanks larissa What what up larissa She's in bed. <laughs> <laughs> and special thanks to our only actual sponsor, Big O's Bucktails. Owen, thank you very much. You're very welcome, guys. <laughs> All right, we really boys. That bro All staff right. status, too. We yeah, do. we, we got to talk about, you guys got to give me some input on what the bro staff hoodie is going to be this year. Like, I got to put some I, orders in. I want to get the pit colored one, the yellow and blue one. I oh, need you don't have those. the... You don't no, have one of those. Oh, no. All right, I'll get you one of those. I got I, I need, got more in the garage. Ryan's still I waiting would, on 2021 model. I know. I need to, <laughs> I would, I would I will I would give body parts for one of those. Uh you got one, dude. All right. All right, boys. Have a good night. All right, guys. All right. Thanks. See ya. I had to shake them on my last case. Big O don't play. Big o don't